Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It is hard to believe that we are heading into Memorial Day weekend. It feels like 2022 just started and summer is nigh. It's Today in Ohio, news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with the L.A. women, as one of our listeners has called you, Lisa Garvin, Layla Atassi, and Laura Johnston. You like that moniker, Layla, the L.A. women? (laughs) I hadn't heard that. That's cool. I feel like that's like California girls. Like, we should all be, like, tossing our hair back in a convertible, like, you know. (laughs) Makes me feel a lot cooler than I am. (laughs) One of the best albums ever, L.A. Woman by The Doors. Well, there you go. That's what one listener is referring to you as. Let's get going. We got a great story to start off with, with Cuyahoga County Executive Armin Budish seeking to spend $46 million on the failure that is the Medical Mart Global Center for Health Solutions. We set about finding out how much this loser has cost taxpayers since the idea first came up. Layla, what's the bill? Well, Caitlin Durbin, huge shout out to Caitlin this morning. She probably is still recovering from this. She spent months on this analysis. And so the closest she was able to come to pinning down the actual cost to taxpayers of this boondoggle of a building over the last nine years is between 90 million and 144 million. And, and of course, the county is poised to spend even more this summer, as much as $46 million more to officially merge the Global Center with the Huntington Convention Center to make the two conjoined facilities the convention center of our dreams in Cuyahoga <laughs> County. Um, so here's how Caitlin figured out the costs. Officials estimate that the Global Center cost about 12% of the total $465 million convention center construction project. So if you take that same percentage and apply it to the construction and management of the property over the last nine years, it brings the Global Center's final bill to around $90 million. But that calculation doesn't include the whole ground floor of the complex. The Cuyahoga County Convention Facilities Development Corporation and consultant Jeff Applebaum considered that ground floor to be part of the convention center. It's sold as part of the convention package. It's described as the front door to the to the you know convention center. So if you add that to the first floor, add that first floor back in, because you know it's that beautiful atrium to the Med Mart and everything. Well, the Global Center, I mean. You know, if you add it back in, accounting for the the building's full footprint of two hundred thirty five thousand square feet, the final cost increases to one hundred forty four million. So there's where we have that range. 
And the majority of that money was spent on construction and debt. And right. Caitlin explains the nitty gritty of what line items she added into that calculation in a, in a separate post that's linked to her story on Cleveland.com. All right, Lisa, I know you want to get to why you think spending more money is a good idea, but we'll get to that in a minute. The, the, the idea that the first floor shouldn't be included, with Jeff, which Jeff Applebaum was pushing in the story, is preposterous. He's saying that the real estate purchase of the old sportsman deli in the parking garage would have been done anyway because the convention center would have stretched into that corner. And I'm throwing the flag. I do not believe they would have been taken if it weren't for the medical mart. The medical mart was the four-story building going on that corner. The whole reason to take down that very popular restaurant, which did not want to go away, was for the medical mart. If there had been no medical mart and just a convention center, they wouldn't have taken the corner. They would have fit it into the rest of the space. It's a four-story building. The medical mart is a four-story building. Everything that went into building it counts as what we have wasted on this ridiculous white elephant that we're now stuck with. I got to agree with you on that one. Yeah, Laura, you have have the institutional memory of this, too, because you were covering (laughs) this whole thing as a reporter. I think the front door is not that. I think the front door is on Lakeside, where it says Huntington Convention Center, where well, all the doors are. It's literally front door. I mean, it's literally the front door. door. Yeah, that was such. That was such. I was so glad he said it because every reader looking at it, I'm sure, was laughing at it. He said, "Oh, that's. I. I. I'm, I disagree with this. This is part of it." And it's like, no, it's not. It's a four-story building. You can't peddle that nonsense to. The public, it's, it's just silly. The the idea to, they, at, at the very last minute, we were trying to get the operational yeah. cost. And all along, they're telling Caitlin, you can't separate those out. You can't separate those out. And when they realize we're doing the story anyway, all of a sudden, Friday afternoon, they hit her with a bunch of papers to say <laughs> they're not losing money in operations. Yeah. When we haven't had a chance to drill into it. We put it into the story. But I am I bet that when we drill into it, we're not going to find that that's accurate. Yeah, she she threw them the bone. You know, she she included the, the information they gave them. Um, she they, they were trying to make the case to her that the Global Center, while not a huge money maker, hasn't been a money pit. They gave her documents suggesting that it's it's meager rental income from tenants essentially, you know, do does cover its operating costs. So there was a net loss of three thousand dollars in twenty seventeen, but then there were profits of one hundred thirty two thousand and four hundred seventeen thousand in 2018 and 2019. Some of those profits went to Bio Enterprise, though, which was managing the facility at the time. And and it wasn't clear at all how much that ate into their profit. So it it could have been zero left over afterward. Who knows? I don't know. Here's the other thing. They they claim that the bill, the whole thing came in under budget, right? Remember, they, they claim that this whole project came in under budget. What they leave out of that is it was originally budgeted at $420 million with a huge upgrade of public hall. And then once they got into it, they raised it to $460 million and cut out all the spending on public hall. So the cost of this thing skyrocketed probably by 60 or $80 million. They came in under the 460 and said, oh, we came in under budget. It's like, no, you came in way over the $420 million you told taxpayers it would cost. You just created this situation where you can claim it's under budget. They're just the worst set of liars I've ever seen as they try to peddle this stuff. I went back and I read 
every story we had published from the beginning of this thing all the way up until when it opened. And it was striking to go through that all and see all of the shenanigans. They were keeping secret all the numbers. We never could say back then how much of the money was for the convention center, how much was for the medical mart, because they had put the whole thing with the medical mart people or the uh, merchandise mart people in Chicago and then say, well, it's proprietary. We can't give it to you. If you'll recall, they were going to sign a development agreement for hundreds of millions of dollars with the merchandise mart company without letting the public see it. The plain dealer sued and got an agreement that they would allow the public to see it for two weeks, but it was lacking all the numbers. Caitlin is the first person ever to come through with what the thing cost. So let's let's let Lisa opine on her wacky theory. We should spend more money. <laughs> so they they want to spend another forty six million, saying that this would aid the the convention center. My argument would be, well, just give it to them as is. Why do we have to spend forty six million if it was built to be intertwined? Fine. Or they say the convention center has generated a billion dollars for the economy. Well, who got that money? Go to them. Get your forty six million there. But Lisa, you want to make your case? Well, I, it's gonna if it's gonna be called a wacky theory, I don't know. But I mean, <laughs> you know, I you know I didn't realize, and I wasn't here during all of the MedMart and Global Innovation fiasco. I, I you know I but I didn't realize until the last two most recent articles about it how much they were physically intertwined, and so you know especially that first floor, I just don't see. I, I, I question the $46 million needed to redo it. I'd have to look at the inside of the building. I know they want to increase, like, conference room space and, and, and enlarge the barroom and so forth. But what else can you do with that building? You can't really tear it down. You know what? No, no, no. I, I agree. I, but I, I think what you say is, okay, convention center, here's a building. It's all partitioned in certain ways. Make the best use of it. You don't need this. They don't need escalators. They have elevators. It's 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 if you want to use it as part of convention center space, because that's the way they now say it was designed. Go ahead. It's look, if we had tons of money. That would be one thing. The county doesn't have money. They have to build a jail. They have to build a justice center. They're about to permanently increase the sales tax, which has people on fixed incomes really howling. This is not money they have to spend. So put it on a list for down the road. But for now, say, there's the building. Go use it as is. So I've never seen the building beyond the atrium. But Laura, you probably have toured it when you were a reporter and it was just opening. Do you remember, like, what's the configuration of it? Is it workable as as a convention space as is with just maybe removing some walls and, I mean, some basic uh, reconfiguration? Do you know? So uh, they were still designing that the medical mart didn't open at the same time as the convention center which was the july of like 2013 is when that opened um and they were still designing the rest of it because it was supposed to be based on what the tenants wanted and so they were still trying to court all of those tenants and then design the spaces around them because remember it was supposed to be showrooms for this like fancy heavy big medical equipment and so i think a lot of it was unfinished space and they were ready to build it out so they never did the same kind of meeting rooms that they had done elsewhere in the convention center now it has been a whole lot of things since 2013 they tried to build put a bunch of education in there i mean every iteration that comes in and I think we talked about this last week they're like okay we didn't get it right before but we know this is the right thing to do now and we have the knowledge and this is going to be a success so we need the money to do it now and I I, I mean I understand the idea that this 
needs to be made the best use possible. But Chris is right in that 46 million, look at the total cost to build it. I mean, this is a huge chunk and I realize there's been inflation, but like but, we're but Laura, spending I over again that. I was in there when Plug and Play did their thing and they mm -hmm. had tons of space in there. They were very easily able to accommodate the crowds that came for that, the stations they set up and they didn't do construction to do it. It wasn't designed for, this was the, the health business incubator mm -hmm. that came to town and had contests. People made proposals and then they funded some, some segment of them. It was a big thing by Armin Budish that sounded like it had a lot of promise. I don't know how well it worked out. But on its first day, the place was mobbed and they used multiple floors and all sorts of things were going on. And it worked. They made it work for the needs of the, the use. It wasn't designed for it. They could do that here. It, it, it's, it's, the other thing is, when your kids move out, you might want to turn your kid's bedroom into your weight room or your exercise room. But if you're broke because you're paying for college, you don't do it right away. You wait till you finish paying for college, then you build your little workout room or whatever it's going to be. Cuyahoga County doesn't have the money. <laughs> the problem is they're spending $46 million we don't have for something that is not an absolute necessity. And the decisions are being made by people who don't feel it. When Dave Gilbert, the Destination Cleveland leader, told county council $46 million is a modest investment, it shows that he has completely broken from the reality of people living on fixed incomes. Again, okay. I, it's the, the $46 million I do question. I don't question the need to, you know, convert that space. I just don't. And I mean, if you, if you, if you let it sit fallow and it can't be used for conventions in a, in a good way, then what do you do with it? You can't knock it down. Well, I don't think they've done the study. Lisa, to see what they can do with it. I think they've just come up with a way to squander $46 million on a building that pretty much everybody in Cuyahoga County is fed up with. So it's interesting, too. We talked to both county executive candidates. Lee Weingart wouldn't spend a dime on it, wants to figure out a way to sell it, as complicated as that is. Mm -hmm. And Chris Ronane is still waffling on it because he was one of the early proponents of it. So it's kind of hanging on him. You know, I also want to just point out, just to return to Caitlin's story for a moment, the context that she brought to it with uh, the, the experts like Bill Bowen, the professor from uh, Cleveland State, who points out the, the average taxpayers who are not seeing the direct benefit of this. <clears throat> he uses this example, Ronnie Hannigan from a Cleveland neighborhood. He's like, what, you know, what benefit is this guy from the Cleveland, you know, this guy will never set foot in this, in, in the facility. And yet, you know, he's paying out of his pocket every year for this facility that will never, he, it'll, you know, there will never be a benefit that this guy will ever see for it. And most of us will never, will never uh, enjoy this facility. And, and who is benefiting from it? Who is it? So and I think that's a story that we're looking to write in the next iteration, right? Aren't we also, you know, we've got, we've got right. feelers out for that we're story looking, too. Yeah, we're looking at all the tourism money we spend in this town. Right. Don't get back. And, you know, people compare it to the arena and progressive field. There is a difference. Both of those teams are tied up into the psyche of Cleveland. Lots of people go there. You can argue that you don't get the return on the investment. But but if one of those teams were to leave Cleveland, it would damage the, the well-being of this community. The Medical Mart doesn't have any of that. It's just a big, gigantic sinkhole of cash that was never going to work. They, I mean, they changed the name before it even opened because they knew it wasn't going to work and then claimed that it was never intended to be what it ended up being. 
We have done something we've never done before. We've gone half this podcast on one topic. We got to move on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Has First Energy really gotten back into politics after saying it was pulling way back in light of its $60 million in bribes in the HB6 statehouse scandal? Lisa, they turned the whole state government on its head. They got burned. They had to pay huge fines. They said, OK, 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 we're out. But they're back. They are. After a 19-month hiatus, they are back giving out money. Their PAC, their political action committee, that is. They resumed donations last month. This is per uh, Federal Elections Commission filing. This is the first time they've done it since October 2020. Uh, So far, they've uh, handed out $156,650, but none of it went to Ohio at all. Uh, They spent $65,000 on federal and state candidates in Pennsylvania, $24,000 on West Virginia candidates. They also gave $5,000 to uh, New Jersey Representative Josh Gottheimer, who is a Democrat. They also gave some money to Steny Hoyer, who is a Democrat from Maryland, for his joint fundraising committee. So, yeah, none to Ohio candidates. They did give some money, $15,000 each, to the Senate and House GOP and the House Dems collectively on the federal level. They've given $130,000 $13,000 to GOP candidates and groups and $38,500 to Democratic candidates and organizations. So this is the way they start. This is the way they get back. For years, they were the dominant player in Ohio politics, buying whoever they wanted, getting the most favorable treatment any utilities ever gotten in Ohio. They get burned in the biggest scandal we've ever seen. It's not even two years later, and already the tendrils are growing back. So how long before First Energy is causing complete rot of state government yet again? Well, First Energy spokeswoman Jennifer Young says that they did a comprehensive review over the time they weren't giving money, and they talked with their compliance and legal people, and they figured, you know, they evaluated policies, they want to do more audits and more public information, but we'll see how that plays out. There's only one reason they give, and it's to buy the favorable treatment that they were getting. What happened was they just grew and grew and grew. Nobody ever ramped them back. The PUCO of Ohio was their complete buddy instead of their regulator, and they got ridiculous. This is the way it begins. It begins with them, okay, I think it's safe to give some money, and then next year they give some more, and then who knows? Does it lead to bribery again? It's a bad sign. It's amazing to me they didn't even wait two years before they started trying to use their influence. It's a bad company that, that, that really has done damage in Ohio. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
We were shocked when the Cuyahoga County engineers suddenly realized the Memphis Road Bridge was in such bad condition it had to be closed immediately. And we set about to find out if there are other bridges where the engineer might be equally surprised. Laura, what did we find? Yeah, that, that it was rated poor on inspection reports kept by the Ohio Department of Transportation. And that rating is assigned to 119 other bridges in the county. That's 10% of the total bridges here. Memphis is the only one that's unexpectedly closed recently. That was May 9th. And the workers discovered that the concrete material used to reinforce the steel beams and provide fire prevention had hidden this dangerously eroded steel. And they couldn't tell that before. And also... By exposing the steel, they made the bridge weaker, so they automatically shut it down. It had already been down to one lane. Before that, they'd reduced the load. They say the other bridges are safe. If they're poor, they're expected once a year, but you, that is a tough question. How can you know? Like, How can you know with any certainty that they're safe if they're in such bad shape that, and you can't see inside the bridge? And one of the things they said is, well, the proof is we haven't had any fail. It's like, wow, you don't really want to say something like that because you're kind of jinxing yourself. That, that, that was the question. It's like, well, how are we supposed to trust you? This was rated poor. You were letting cars go back and forth across it. You were going to keep it open while you did the construction. And then lo and behold, you realize it's so dangerous that cars shouldn't be on top of it. How do, you, how do you not go figure out if that's happening elsewhere? Are there x-ray technology they could use to look through this concrete to see if the steel is badly deteriorated? It's scary to, to know that you could be driving on a bridge that the engineer on a moment's notice could say, oops, this could fall in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is very disconcerting to, to learn that. But right now, the general appraisals looking at these bridges are looking at the culvert, the deck, the substructure, the superstructure. But when they're, they're poor, they're rated. Um, of the 31 that are rated poor in the county, each bridge has in some state of redesign, construction, or close to traffic. So that makes me feel a little bit better. That wait, 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 wait. You drove on that bridge about an hour before they determined it was too dangerous to have cars on it yeah so you feel a little bit better i mean i okay i mean <laughs> i don't know like do i want to fall down over the railroad tracks no but the fact is that the other 31 bridges that the county maintains actually because there are other that are maintained by odot um cities and local parks but the ones that the county does they're either in planning or design stages to fix and um, so I, at least they're aware of it. Like, I'd feel worse if they were just rated poor and they're like, yeah, they're, they're fine. Like, I mean, they are working on all of them. Well, maybe. Uh, we will <laughs> run a list of them. We ran a yes. map over the weekend. We'll have a list coming. So, Lisa, knowing all these bridges are in poor conditions, you still want to spend money on the Medical Mart? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just gonna you're gonna rub my nose in it until the end of time. I can tell. I'll tell you what though the the bridge the I two seventy one bridge Brainerd over two seventy one makes me nervous because it vibrates and shakes whenever I'm on it. I don't ooh, I don't know if it's on the list. And there are a lot you know some people are more afraid of bridges than others. Like some people don't like to drive over the four eighty bridge at all, right? And I feel like that bridge like the four eighty over. Um, the valley, Cuyahoga Valley, I feel like that is constantly being under construction. Mm. I don't know the last time I drove on it when, when it, it wasn't, wasn't under yeah. construction. But um, this is not just a Cuyahoga County problem. Statewide, about 5% of the total bridges in Ohio are rated poor. Portage County, 12.7%. Um, that's, I guess, the only one higher than Cuyahoga County's 10% in our area.
All right. Check out the story on cleveland.com. And again, we'll be publishing the full list. The map doesn't give you specific information you might need. You're listening to Today in Ohio. There's a Cleveland City Council resolution to remove the first energy name from the place where the Browns play. Have any value whatsoever, given that council resolutions are non-binding and involve no official actions. Layla, when Mark Bosberg and I covered City Hall, we basically (laughs) said we're never writing about resolutions. They are as bad as useful as wet toilet paper. Every (laughs) once in a while, one is interesting enough where we do, but does it mean anything? Well, as as someone who has found wet toilet paper floating in Lake Erie and immediately evacuated (laughs) their children, there is some value in wet toilet paper. (laughs) But this, no, it probably has no value. But if you're on city council and you have to look out the council committee room window a couple times a week and see First Energy emblazoned across the Brown Stadium, I could see how you'd feel moved to do something, right? Even if it's largely symbolic and pointless. So Councilman Brian Casey is the lone wolf sponsoring a resolution calling for First Energy to take its name off the Brown Stadium, given its entanglements in the HB6 bribery scandal and and the accusations that First Energy in 2019 bankrolled a dark money group that tried to undermine its competitor CPP, which is owned by the city of Cleveland. So in his resolution, Casey wrote, quote, First Energy continues to market itself using the public's taxpayer-funded stadium and that it signifies its failure to fully acknowledge its criminal behavior and and unintentionally implies community support for a criminal enterprise. And he later said that as people enter the stadium and see that sign, it gives them the false impression that First Energy represents the city. And I'd say that he's right about that. But what are you going to do about it? Well, they, you can't, yeah, I mean, can't force them to do anything. He, he's right. It, it's it, the shame on First Energy. They are one of the most despicable companies to ever have operated in Ohio. But they have a contract with the Browns. Right. The Browns have a contract with First Energy. The truth is, because the value of the NFL has gone up, if the Browns were able to get out of that First Energy contract, they could make a lot more money getting a new naming rights. But they... they are honorable people and live by their contract. They have a contract with First Energy. Cleveland has a contract with the Browns. The only thing that they could do, I suppose, is prey upon First Energy to remove their shameful name from the stadium. But man, that would be a real admission by First Energy that we are the Darth Vader of corporate Ohio. No, then the, yeah, there are no, and and you know, the, you know, Browns put out some statement uh, kind of late in the day last last week in support of First Energy remaining on the building, right? I I got to go back and take a look at what they said exactly, but it was very much in support of the company's, uh, you know, how they've sort of turned around their reputation and are doing, uh, doing the good doing the good work and and. Did you of, see that? of making campaign contributions and, <laughs> and trying to alter the political landscape. They're, yes, they're doing they're good great people work. All of a sudden, they're way good to go, people. First Energy. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio, and it must be First Energy Day on the podcast. A third story: Did another former ranking Ohio Public Utilities Commission officer stick it to the people of Ohio to help First Energy collect millions of dollars it did not deserve? Has this commission ever once represented the little guy, Lisa? 
Apparently not. This story comes to us from Ion Ohio, which is a collaboration of the Ohio Center for Journalism and the Energy News Network. So and they got a bunch of documents um, from First Energy through the Ohio Consumer Council. It's an ongoing effort there to get those documents. They found some 2019 texts between former PUCO chair Asim Hawk and former First Energy Vice President Michael Dowling. These texts were sent on the day that the Ohio Supreme Court found that the grid modernization fee was illegal, but they also ruled against refunding that money to customers, and that was about $450 million. But apparently this ruling was not a surprise to Hawk, according to his text. He had resigned two months before this happened, and he told uh, Ion Ohio that uh, the texts were a joke. He said he knew it would be illegal and that the money couldn't be refunded. So it seems to be that Puko knew about this. Did the idea about this fee come from Puko? That seems to be a question here. I mean, think about that. The guy who's supposed to regulate the utility, the guy who's supposed to represent the Ohioans that buy the electricity, knew that the fee was illegal and knew because of the way the state law worked, they'd get to keep it. And they, and they did, and they didn't use it for anything that they should have used it for, yet another blemish. If they really wanted to make it right, First Energy, they would spend that amount and, and maintain the grid. Our former colleague, Jane Cahoon, spent a 26 hours over the weekend without power because their grid is collapsing because they don't maintain it. And why not spend it? You know, say, okay, we got the money. We shouldn't have gotten the money. We don't have to pay it back. We're going to go and spend it on fixing up the grid. And instead, the PUCO is saying it was a joke. Right. What What is going on here, man? This is not the way it's supposed to work. And and Hawk further said in the text, and I quote, it's up to Chair Randazzo, meaning Sam Randazzo, to find a path for you. That's what he said to Michael Dowling with First Energy. And it's like, hmm, seems like they were greasing the skids there a little bit. Rondazzo is the guy that the P, that First Energy has admitted to paying bribes to, even though he has yet to be charged with a crime. So feeling really protected by the PUCO of Ohio. Mike DeWine has appointed a lot of really quality people looking out for our interests on that board. It's Today in Ohio. Did Amazon fire a Northeast Ohio employee because he was trying to organize a union? Laura, this isn't just an allegation. This is getting some legs. Yeah, the National Labor Relations Board is investigating this. And according to documents from then, someone filed this unfair labor practice charge against Amazon on May 16th. They say Amazon was aware of unionization efforts and the employee was part of those at the facility. The employee was then fired for a so-called security infraction and not allowed to use Amazon's in-house appeal process. But the person complaining said that there was no security infraction and they were fired because of their support for the union because they don't want a union at that facility. And this is something that's happening nationwide. There's one Amazon union. It's actually called like the Amazon Labor Union in uh Staten Island, I believe. So what happens next? How does this investigation work? They'll go and investigate, and if they find it's legitimate, they'll issue some kind of charge? Yeah, I believe so. And then they'll be probably have to be allowed to unionize, if that's the point. Um, and they're actually getting some traction here. Dan O'Malley, the leader of the North Shore AFL-CIO, said Amazon st- tried to stop unions in the past, but they are welcoming a... Um, a representative from the ALU in Staten Island to come to Cleveland. So I imagine that this would just make 
I mean, this publicity around it would just make people be like, okay, Amazon, like, we want a union. Like, it would make you against the big corporate, like, meanie. Yeah, it, it, this one was a surprise because, you know, there's always allegations of this kind of thing. But when the federal government starts to investigate it, it gives it some credibility. Not a good sign for Amazon, which employs a whole lot of people in Northeast Ohio. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have a whole list of stories we could do another half hour long podcast. We'll have to leave them for tomorrow. I guess going long on that loser of the medical mart <laughs> squeezed out a lot of good conversation. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. Come back tomorrow. We got lots more to talk about. Okay.